So it's 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 to chapter 3, verse 10. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he's revealed, we may have confidence and not be put to shame before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who does right has been born of him. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who commits sin is guilty of lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Everyone who does what is righteous, just j does what is right, is righteous, just as he is righteous. Everyone who commits sin has a child of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Those who've been born of God do not sin because God's seed abides in them. They cannot sin because they have been born of God. The children of God and the children of the devil are revealed in this way. All who do not do what is right are not from God, and nor are those who do not love their brothers and sisters. Amen. Good morning. Everyone doing all right? That's what I like to hear. It's a leading question, but there you go. Well, thanks, David, for the, the reading. That was awesome. Isn't this a good text? It's no joke, huh? It is no joke. Um, for those of you who have been a part of this series uh, at any other Sunday, um, you've probably heard the letter introduced half a dozen times already. Uh, so sorry about that because I'm going to do it again. I'm going to give you this brief introduction and give you just a bit of context, um, mainly for those of you who, who th this is your first Sunday to be a part of hearing First John um, unpacked for you. So there's honestly not a ton of context. Um, in short, this is a letter from John to um, a church of his, and there's uh, a group within this church that have defected as uh, false teachers John lovingly calls them um, antichrists, and um, it, and as James Peterson unpacked last week really well, this you know in the Greek would be uh, against Christ's, or he says instead of Christ's in their teaching. And so um, this has, as you can expect, it, it has caused a bunch of junk in their church. When you have uh, people who stand up and say, actually, we're we're not sure that Jesus is the Messiah. We are. Uh, rejecting the divinity of Jesus Christ. You're like, that's going to create a mess. 
It's going to create um, a lot of stuff in this church. It creates um, sin and a bunch of other things that we'll get into briefly. But this is the, the backdrop for what is going on in this letter. It's quite intense. Um, in this day, a lot of times when these people couldn't be there in person, they are, they're lobbing a letter over at a church and just hoping that this goes well. And it's quite an intense deal. They've, they've got to lay out their arguments really well. They've got to encourage the church and then debunk false teachers who are probably in the presence of the reading. Um, it can be quite a lively situation. And so um, the stakes are high for, for John here. And um, should we dive in? Yeah. Okay. Well, as you heard in this reading, um, there is, there's a number of angles uh, you, could, you could go at in, in terms of unpacking this. Uh, for me, as I read this, the thing that lifts off the page is John's focus on um, our choices and our living. And it is right living versus sinful living. There's this really, really strong binary distinction of righteous living versus sinful living here. Um, just, to, just to bring back to your memory a few of these. 229, everyone who does what is right has been born of him. 3-3, three, three, um, all who have this hope in him, they are purifying themselves. So they are developing that righteous living. 3-4, everyone who commits sin is guilty of lawlessness. 3-7, everyone who does what is right is righteous. 3-8, everyone who commits sin is a child of the devil. 3-9, those who have been born of God do not sin. 3-10, all who do not do what is right are not from God, nor are those who do not love their brothers and sisters. So this is just seven instances out of a, a meager 12 verses where John is laying it out and drawing a clear distinction, a clear line in the sand of righteous living, sinful living. And he feels this is important to clarify. Um, now, in the middle of all this, there, there's a really powerful statement that you've probably heard more than these other pieces, which is that you, are, um, you have been called a child of God, and this is what you are. And this brings a smile to our face, as it should. It's good news, right? Yep, it's gospel. Well, um, in this, let's not lift that phrase out of context and just say, I'm a child of God. And then miss the thrust of what John is saying, which is, as a child of God, your life should look this way, and it should not look this way. A child of God should live righteously and, and does not live in sin. Amen? Um, and this is one of the things I, I love about the New Testament and this, this choir of, of voices that, that make up this medley is there's... There's a lot of authors and a lot of texts that, that really dig into these identity claims and the good news and that you're a saint and you're not a sinner anymore and you have been adopted and you are a child of God. Um, and then there are, there are certain texts that they feel a little more prickly as we read them. You're like, hmm, this is less comfy to snuggle into. Um, like James, he says, hey, faith without works is dead. Um, and you're like, whoa, James, cool it, you know, that's, that's, that's strong language, and I mean, I guess it's true, and John is, I feel, kind of cut from the same cloth in, in that he's got that prophet edge, and he's calling it like it is. He's laying it out and saying, hey, you're a child of God, that is what you are, and therefore, 
you live righteously and you do not live in sin. You have seen God and therefore you don't sin because you've seen him. You know what he's like and therefore you're not going to carry on continuing in a life of sin. And these, these reminders from the New Testament are essential. They're important as we kind of bask in these identity claims. They say, hey, love it. And just a reminder, it will play out in your life like this. When these identity claims have made their way into you, they are expressed, they are enfleshed in these ways. It will end up looking like a righteous life. It will end up looking like less and less sin going on in you. If that's not happening, something's broken, which is what we'll get into in a minute. So to rope uh, the background in a bit, if you remember, there were antichrists in their church, people who were rejecting the divinity of Jesus. And in doing this, this has led to sin in their community. Um, if you deny the divinity of Jesus who has rescued us from sin, this will lead us into sin probably. That makes sense. He's the rescuer of, of us from sin and he has defeated sin and death. And if you deny that he did that, you're probably gonna end up winding up in sin. And so somehow this teaching has it would appear has blurred the lines between sinlessness and sinfulness um, into it, it blurred the lines between righteousness and lawlessness. And so somehow in their community, that distinction has kind of gone away. And it seems like both of these things are kind of coexisting in the, in the community. And John feels he needs to come in with that Sharpie and go like we're drawing a fine line here. And, this is the kind of living that, that should be proceeding from you. And this kind of stuff, this can't be here. This is not who you are as a child of God. This is not the kind of things that proceed from someone who is begotten from God, who is a child of God. Um, John 10.10 10 is a similar text. That kind of, I love this one because, again, it's, it's so centering when our theology can get a bit wonky and off. Um, when we start attributing things like sickness or destruction to God because we have these weird sovereignty ideas that go, well, this good could come from that. And then he's got to come in and say, hey, the thief comes to, to, to steal, kill, and, and destroy. This is the job description of the bad guy. And I have come to give you life and life abundantly. And these two categories are crystal clear and they are centering for us. We go, oh, right. Dummy, I, I was starting to say, like, destruction is what he comes and brings. No, 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 no. No one ever grabbed the hem of Jesus' garment and then got sick because you could get either from him, you know, and it, he might be trying to create um, character in you by giving you harm. That, that never happened. No one came to him and touched him, and he gave them affliction. It was 100%. You know, you just you, you, you grab his hem, and that's going to spill out because he's only got life in there. It's the only thing that, that, that comes out. And so these sorts of clarifying, hey, thief does this, I do this. If you're a child of God, this is what your life looks like. It doesn't look like this. It's helpful. It can be jarring and, like, it, and it reads quite extreme, but it's necessary in the middle of the New Testament to have these kind of stark lines drawn. Right? Yeah. Um. One of the things I, I love about following Jesus is how um, hands-on and practical it is. It's, it's, 
very much um, take care of the poor, love the orphan, love the widow, um, love your neighbor as yourself, love your enemy, and love the Lord. These things are, are very, they're very tangible and they're, they're very visible, and you know when you're doing it and you know when you're not doing it. Um, I'm, I'm personally really thankful that Christianity isn't some sort of deal where you've got to, in order to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to meditate to the ninth level. And, and when you get to that ninth level of meditation, then like this visitation opens up and then you see the face of Jesus. And then when you see the face of Jesus, he'll, he'll whisper something to you. And then that's a secret that only you have. And then after you've received that secret, then you've got to go hike three mountains. And, and on the top of the third mountain, when you're just exhausted, there's an apostle at the top who he lays a hand on you and he or she's wearing robes and, you know, whatever. That's not, that's not what Christianity is. It's like, hey, love your neighbor. Love the Lord. It should look like these things. This is what it means to be a, a follower of Jesus. This is righteous living. This is sinful living. Now, um, following Jesus isn't easy, but it isn't complicated. So it's, it's not easy, but it's, it's fairly simple. We're not going to get to the end of our life and, and, and then realize that we didn't ascend to one more level of knowledge, and that was what we needed to be a follower of Jesus. It's laid out very clearly that we, we, we give the cup of cold water to the person who needs it um, and these sorts of things. And, and I'm thankful this is, this is how it's laid out um, for us. Um, and it, we need these sorts of um, unnuanced divides in Scripture on occasion. Um, otherwise, we can get a bit too cushioned and insulated in these identity claims that don't, they don't have flesh on them and we don't know what they look like in our daily lives as we believe them. So we need to have that, that push that goes, hey, as you believe these things, it becomes expressed in this way. Um, to press on this uh, kind of one level deeper, I, I think one of the ways that, that I think I would find myself trying to get off the hook a bit with what John is saying here is by making the divide between sinful living and just non-sinful living. Um, but John here is, is talking about sinful living versus righteous living, which is there's a, a, a proactivity to that, a substance in righteous living. It is living in a right and righteous way. It is, is doing good works. I guess you, you could kind of explain it like if you're... Um, not being violent towards your enemies, that's a good start, right? You're like, all right, I'm not punching that person in the face after they cut me off um, driving. Like I have not wrecked into their car and given it to them. That's good, right? That, that, that's a good start. And that's, that's avoiding the sin of being violent towards your enemy. However, Jesus says, love your enemies, which, which is that next step of agape, like, choosing their needs above yours, preferring them and loving them in a sacrificial way. So it's, they, they cut you off. You're like, here's a Starbucks gift card, you know, bless you. Uh, 
because I love you, and you, you were made in the image of God, and the Lord has amazing plans for your life, and I'll be praying for you. What's your name? You know. So it's that distinction John is making. It's not just avoiding sin and kind of staying in, new, in neutral territory, which you could argue is sin if you're just, you're not living righteously. But then he says it is righteous living, and this is an invitation into doing the good works, um, which is exciting. All right, so we've kind of laid out the what, and now let's just look at the why. So, or sorry, actually not, not the why. We don't have time for the why. We'll get into the how, okay? Let's, let's, let's get into the how. So we, we look at this divide between um, righteous living and uh, sinful living, and, the, and the, the, the thought would maybe be, all right, well, let's go. Let, let's just go live righteously. Like, let's do this stuff. And so I'm going to jump on the hamster wheel and, and begin to do the things that are righteous. Is, you know, does John or Paul give us lists of righteous things and I can just start doing those? Um, no, I think that that's not what we want to do. That, that will ultimately lead to um, frustration and uh, types of burnout or effort that, that aren't um, funded by grace and aren't, aren't um, greased in that way. So John thankfully gives us the hint, well, it's quite overt, on how this thing works out and how we're meant to do non-sinful non living and instead righteous living. The word he gives us is abide. Abide is the secret for righteous living. Now, abide can be quite a Bible-y word, right? I don't know how many times I've said abide just to my wife or in, in casual chat. Um, I, I haven't. It's been usually behind a pulpit. Um, so what does it actually mean, right? Um, I think this is just my opinion, but I, I think it, it might not, I don't know that, that this word is, it needs to be systematically defined in 12 points because I don't know that scripture honestly gives us that level of depth. I think it's quite a relational term. Um, it's quite a pregnant term um, where there's a lot in it, but you're just kind of like, this is what it is. To me, it's, 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 it's like one of those images on a website where you click on it and you, you try and zoom in because you want to see it bigger and it's just blurry when, once you do that. And you're like, okay, it's meant to be just that size of image on the page and that's, that's just how big it's meant to be. And I think the word abide, you can zoom way in and go, all right, what's the 25 points for how we abide? And you're like, well, it's probably going to get a bit blurry and, and strange if we do that. But abide can be one of those things where you, you kind of you, you kind of know if you're doing it and you kind of know you're not doing it. Um, it's, it's generally living aware of the presence of the Lord, just going, I'm going to start my morning and be aware in the day of his presence. And then making choices in light of him and his teaching. It's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be aware of the presence, and then as I move, I'm going to make choices in light of that. Um, and you could certainly go into more depth um, on this, but I think for me, I don't want to get too deep trying to explain abide so we can kind of figure it out like an equation. Um, probably one of the most famous abiding passages, of course, would be John 15, so his other text where um, Jesus is talking, and he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. 
And he says, apart from me, you can do absolutely nothing. Which is like, man, that's, I can't do anything? Like, Jesus, I can do some things. And he's saying, you can't do anything. Um, and I, I don't know about you, but have you ever been trying to fix a piece of electronics and you're just like working on it for a long time and you're trying to fix it and you're trying to do it? You even maybe give it a few kicks thinking that might, that might really do it. Um, and it just doesn't work. And then you realize eventually like, it wasn't plugged into the wall. <laughs> Shoot, it wasn't plugged in. Okay, uh, and you plug it in and it's like, all right, it, start, it starts working now and it's all, I gave it a dent on the side, which is annoying now, but it, it works. And I think this is the key, um, is abiding is as simple as staying plugged into the wall and abiding is the mechanism for righteous living. This is how everything works. You take out the plug, you stop abiding. Righteous living is not going to be there. It's not going to function. It's not going to work. And then enter sinful living. When we can stay connected, stay abiding, we don't overcomplicate it, but we just stay in his presence, stay aware of it, make choices in light of him and his teaching. These, thi these things begin to work really well. Um, and, you know, it is... It is a command of Jesus to, to abide. So we can often emphasize, I'm going to abide and not strive. And yes, but it is something we have to do. He had to command it like, hey, abide. So you do have to get in there and make the choice to live in light of him and stay aware of his presence um, and have his teaching abiding in you. That is a thing you need to do. But, but once you're doing it, you let him take over. Um, and it's, it's his life that is coursing through you, which is, which is the... That's the metaphor Jesus uses. Um, he's probably walking with his disciples along a vineyard, and he's saying, like, hey, I'm the vine. See that thing? And you're the branches. And you just realize the branch, it, it doesn't flex as hard as it can to get the fruit to come out and work really hard. It just does, doesn't work like that. Um, it's, it only has one job. It's to stay connected to the vine. That's it. If you break off... If one of our kids runs by you and breaks a stick off and uses it for, to make a gun or a walking stick, you're done for. You're right. You, it's not going to work. But if you stay connected and go, I'm just going to make sure I'm plugged in, all these things begin to work out. Um, and so in, the, in this community, they uh, denied the divinity of Christ. And um, I think that was the moment of kicking the plug out from the wall, probably. And then, oh, no, lawlessness and... and these things are getting blurred together, and, and John needed to come in and kind of explain it and parse it out for us. Hmm. Yeah, so as we do it, as we spend time with the Lord, we see his love for humanity, and then what do you know? I kind of love humanity a bit more. And then it's not this forced love of enemy, which is really tough, and I just grit my teeth. It's like you will love your enemies more um, as you see how the Father feels about your enemies, and, and, you, and you begin to look more and more like your dad, who, um, Math, who Matthew says, we do it because he, he, he does it. He reigns on the righteous and the unrighteous. He first loves his enemies, and therefore you will too. So you abide in him, and these things flow naturally because you're beginning to look like the one you're plugged into. Um, but if we race ahead with, with a set of tenants and go, okay, I need to do righteous living, here we go, and you just try and do it, it's going to be really hard 
like super, super hard, and you might have a few good days that you think you're doing it well, but again, it's not, it's not powered by the juice um, of grace that, that's going to be making all this work. All right. Um, I'll just, one last thing uh, before wrapping up, and, and I'll pray for us. Some of us, I think, rightly in reading this text um, that was read this morning and then a couple other places, I think, in, in 1 John, you might scratch your head a little bit when John makes it sound like if you're a son or a daughter of God, you won't sin, period. Like, you will never sin if you're a son of God. And if you've sinned, you're not. And I, I mean, if, if you just read that isolated out of the context of the letter, you might be like, ooh, you know, anxiety fills the room, um, which we know is the spirit, right? Ang anxiety is the Holy Spirit? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. That's not the spirit. Um, spirit brings joy and peace and fear leaves the room when love is there, right? So um, I'm almost getting off track because I was trying to make a joke and only these guys were laughing. <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> new theology, everyone. Spirit brings anxiety. I need John 10, 10 to like set me up again with steal, kill, destroy anxiety over there. Um, <clears throat> so, right, when, when it sounds like, hey, sons and daughters of God don't sin, period. If that's, if there's sin, then you're not. I think what we need to do is read this in context. And it was explained by, um, a theologian I really appreciate, F.F. Um, F. Bruce, the way he kind of gave a story about this. He said when a child goes to a new school, um, they'll often make a choice that isn't really in line or in keeping with kind of the, the traditions and the ways of that school. And uh, a teacher will kind of step in and say, hey, we don't do that here. And now a literalist onlooker might say, hey, technically you guys do do that here because your student just did that in, in your school. And you'd be like, all right, well, yes, this, he just did this once, but that misses the point of the rebuke of the school, which is to say, this school disapproves of that kind of action. This is not, this is not what we do here. And um, the boy or the girl who, who makes this choice will then realize, oh, this is not how I function in this school. This is not what the school does, and they'll begin to change their, their choices, and the claim stands that the school doesn't do these things. Um, in, in the kingdom, when we make a poor choice, that's a part of the kingdom of this world or the present evil age, it's true that it's like, hey, we don't do that here. This type of simple living, this is not, these things aren't in the kingdom. Now, you are figuring this out, and you'll make that choice and go, oh, right, I'm going against the grain of the kingdom against the current, this doesn't feel good, and I've been given that correction, and so I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn around, and I'm gonna be in, in line. And so I think the important thing is here that there's gonna be a trajectory, a movement of less and less of those things. You're, you're, gonna, you're gonna get in the flow of the kingdom, you're gonna make a choice and get found out, you're gonna get told by the spirit or the community or the community via the spirit, we don't do that here. And then you'll go, okay, Yep, good to know. That's right. Okay, and you're going to adjust. Now, I think John is kind of saying, hey, and if you're not changing, and there's people who are living in sin, and there's more and more sin, and there's not more and more righteousness, then you're probably not plugged into the wall. 
you're probably not abiding. And we need to sort that out because we'd love you to be a child of God. We'd love you to be connected in and living in that way. And so, yes, for some people, there's going to be moments or situations where sin is, there's an addiction or a problem that takes time. And that struggle is good. That, that, that struggle with the Spirit is evidence that you are filled with the Spirit. And so that's okay for some things to take time to work out. And this, the, the community works with you. And these things, these things can take time. But the principle is there is a movement in a, in a direction. There's a trajectory of sinfulness leaving and righteousness coming. Not because you're working really hard, but because you're connected, you're abiding, you're plugged in, you've seen the Lord, and now uh, you are transformed because of that. Amen? All right. Well, just to summarize, it, and then I'll pray. Um, I think 1 John is, is just a, a, well, at least these verses would be just a really, just a full-scale assault against forms of Christianity where there are just ideas that we kind of claim, boom, you know, I prop my feet up and can quote the Nicene Creed, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, and yet it doesn't play out in my life. And you don't really see that much evidence that I'm a follower of Jesus. I think one John is saying, hey, we're not going to do that. We're not going to have belief, you know, just these ideas-based Christianity, and then we kind of just look the same as everyone else. I, I desperately want to see in my own country, America, and here, that there is a clear distinction of followers of the Lamb. You're like, whoa, that's different. That is righteous living. And that just, it just looks, it looks so different. And it's not a whole thing to create two camps and go with the sheep and the goats and err. It's not that. It's to say, if we're living righteously, it's going to look different. And yeah, there will be persecution, but there will also be, whoa, I want in on that. Like, you're not entangled in sin. Um, there's this city on the hill element. Like, I want into that party. And I, so I, I think that's what I want. I, I want, I don't want it to kind of be, yeah, I believe these things and I'm there on the Sunday, but honestly, we just look the same as all of our neighbors and, and there's not much of a difference. I don't want that. I want us to go, all right, there's righteousness that comes from me being a child of God and this is evident in my life versus the sinfulness that's got to go. And I think that that's some of what John is doing here and it's, it's, it was relevant then with antichrists in their church and it's, it's relevant now, um, where these lines can, can, can kind of get blurred and sin and righteousness can, can coexist without issue. Um, it's not meant to, and, and we're meant to have that clear divide. So I'm thankful for John for doing that. Um, why don't you guys stand? I'd love to, 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 to pray for us. Honestly, I, I don't... I don't feel the need to, to complicate it too much. I think what we would need is just a prayer about abiding, right? And I, there's probably a spectrum of where we might be with that. Um, I can tell you there's times where I would kind of look up from life and realize, yeah, I'm not abiding right now. This season I'm in, I've done a bad job. You know, no huge shame or guilt about it, but I've just been either too busy or too addicted to X, Y, or Z, and I just, I am just not really abiding. Um, and uh, other of us might go, yeah, like, 
I, I, I'm in a season of abiding and there's no, um, that's not arrogance. That's just you going, oh, this feels really good. I'm connected to the spirit and it is changing my life and I'm doing that. And that's great if you're there. And I think there's, there's, there's more depth available uh, in terms of, you know, getting closer and closer to the Lord. Um, so I, I'd love to just pray for us wherever we are on the spectrum of, of, of abiding. If we need to um, get back in and, and plug into the wall or if it's kind of hanging out of the wall and it, it you know, if the power goes on and off um, or if we're plugged in firmly and we just want to enjoy that more, um, I'd love to pray for us. I guess, first of all, Spirit, um, would you just begin to speak to us? Would you um, turn on the lights um, if there's places where we're unaware and we, we aren't realizing places where we are, we are not abiding, that we are not plugged in? And um, would you expose those so that we can, you know, fix it and sort it out? Um, yeah, thank you, Spirit. And Jesus, thank you for um, the gift of abiding. Thank you that that's even something that you set up for your relationship with, 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 with humanity, that there isn't a thick veil dividing where you sit in heaven and us here um, with left with just a big book to read about you, but you said we can abide in you and you'll abide in us. What a, what a privilege uh, that that's the relational design you've set up. It's, it's absolutely mind-blowing and we don't want to miss out on that opportunity to take part in abiding in you and you abiding in us. It's deep, it's mystical, it's crazy, and we just, we want to make sure we are taking advantage of that. Um, thank you for giving us your spirit so that's possible 24-7. We don't have to follow you around in crowds anymore. Um, we're thankful that we get you and, and we can abide in you and you can abide in us. We're so thankful, Jesus. Um, and so would you just encourage us the way you do so well? Um, would you show us uh, ways where we can lean in more and show us place where, ooh, sin, that's not what we do here. We need to turn around, repent, turn the other way so that we can begin to, again, be in the current and uh, the grain of the kingdom. Would you be faithful to expose those things so that we can adjust and enjoy righteous living? So just let um, the Spirit continue to speak to you and minister to you.